And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here in the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And more important than ever, I think, uh, it's that I should announce that, again, remind people that my Twitter feed is at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY on Twitter. Uh, and the reason is because so much of what I'm going to be talking about in this edition of Novak Now um, will have further notes, further articles that you can read, further references on the Twitter feed. Um, I should also warn you at the top here that this being the week of Pesach, Passover beginning, also Holy Week for our Christian listeners, um, this is going to be a little bit more of a biblical, ethical, uh, Jewish learning type edition of Novak Now than usual. Uh, Even though, as you know, I usually say, uh, I'm not a rabbi, I'm not attempting to play one on the radio, the Nachum Siegel Network uh, proudly features many true rabbis who are very learned. Uh, so it is not my intention to, to do a, a shear here or a, a, a religious lesson. But as many of my readers know, even as I write for the secular news media and I've written so many columns for CNBC that focus on certain moral issues and religious issues, I, I do that. I very often see in our supposedly secular non-religious news many different lessons that we've either learned as Jews or we learned as Christians, if, again, for our Christian listeners, it, it's not something that, you can, that, that exists in a vacuum. There are just so many lessons that I see, so many um, parallels to what we know from religious learning. And it isn't obviously just Jewish learning, but because so many Christian teachings have taken up the Jewish learning and have either parroted it or even taken it to some different places. But the, the fact is that we're seeing this now uh, with some of the key responses we're seeing to our continued battle with the coronavirus, which is, of course, to me, is, it has become now a greater test than even 9-11 was for the New York area. And I'm not even talking about the New York area, which, of course, was the main victim of 9-11, although, of course, we had the plane crashes in Pennsylvania and the plane uh, crashing into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. So certainly not just New York, the victim, but the main victim. And it is appearing as if New York will be the main victim, and it certainly is now, will be the main victim of this coronavirus outbreak in the United States. Worldwide, New York probably not the biggest victim, and for that I guess we're thankful if you are in the New York area, but of course, tough, tough times for this city and tough tests. I want to talk about something that I started to notice many years ago, but first wrote about five years ago. Five years ago for CNBC, I wrote an editorial called The Insatiable State. The, the government that seems to have no ending of its appetite when it comes to, to what it wants to take from the people. And as we think of the Passover story, we think of the, the story of, as we say in Hebrew, Yitziat Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, there were a number of things that just <laughs> hit me like a, like a ton of bricks in the last 24 to 48 hours uh, that really seemed to correlate when it comes to when we think of what we learn about Passover and what we learn about what we're seeing right now going on in the country. Um, I want to focus this on something that to me is a very interesting debate going on that really shouldn't be much of a debate, but it is a debate. It's a debate that I think has justifications within a small subset of the medical community, 
But because of the way the news media continues to push back on President Trump and because of the way the news media, as you've heard me say many times here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, because the news media's number one bias is negativity, this debate has taken a national platform. And I think it's disturbingly so because it's turned something, an issue of life and death, into a political battle, which means that lives may be lost because of it. So some of you might, might have already guessed. What I'm talking about is the malaria drug, hydrochloroquinine. I'm only going to say that once because it's a tough one for me to say, but I think I said it right. Well, I'll say it again. Hydrochloroquinine, which is a malaria drug which has been in circulation worldwide for many decades. It has been approved for use. Like any drug, it can be abused. Like any drug, it can be dangerous to certain people who have certain drug allergies. But for the most part, it's an extremely safe drug. For the most part, it's, extreme, it's been extremely effective in fighting malaria. And as many of you probably already know, for several, several weeks now, we have learned that using that drug as an off-label use has shown some really encouraging results in curing people with the coronavirus, COVID-19, Wuhan virus, whatever you want to call it. What we have seen now is more and more, thankfully, medical experts saying that this is something that they would recommend using. We're hearing more and more political leaders saying that, but we are not hearing enough of them saying that. And we are still hearing from the news media and other people push back from certain medical experts, from certain people who aren't experts, reminding us that one out of 10 million people who might take this drug could be sick, the whole thing. We understand that. By the way, the, the number one drug that's abused in the United States, the number one drug that sends people to the emergency rooms, does anyone want to guess what that is? I'll give you a hint. It's not a narcotic. It's not an illegal drug. The number one drug that sends people to emergency rooms in the United States year after year after year. One more hint. It's an over-the-counter drug. All right, you've had enough time to guess. The answer is Tylenol. So many Americans take Tylenol for regular aches and pains or to reduce a fever, and they don't realize that either it, it is something that reacts negatively with another drug that they're taking, or, which is the case most of the time, they take too many of them. They might pop four or five Tylenol three or four times a day, and they end up having, because of the acetaminophen in Tylenol, they end up having to go to an emergency room. Now, should we ban Tylenol? Should we take it off the over-the-counter list and put it into the prescription list? Of course not. There are going to be some people who are going to abuse a drug either because they want to abuse themselves or because they're really just too irresponsible, and that happens. We should not punish the overwhelming majority of society to protect those who don't want to be protected, to protect those who are just too mentally unstable or mentally weak to protect themselves. We want to help those people. By the way, I'm not trying... I'm not. Um, prescribing, no pun intended, a lack of compassion for people who don't know how to take care of themselves. But we can't, in order to protect just them, which thankfully is still a small number in the grand scheme of things, we can't just to protect them, put the rest of society either in danger or in tremendous or unfair inconvenience. We can't do that. We cannot do that. I'm talking about Tylenol here. Tylenol. So yes, there will be some people who will, again, we don't know all the details in this story about this couple that took the fish tank cleaner that had the hydrochloroquinine in it. 
Uh, I'm not so so sure the man who died wasn't deliberately poisoned by his wife, who apparently also took it, maybe to cover things up. I don't know. We don't know the details there. Uh, It's absolutely ludicrous to protect them. But let's say they did it by accident. But to protect those types of people, that one in 10, one in 100 million people who might actually do something as crazy as take fish tank cleaner and ingest it, we're going to warn people not to take a drug that is showing very, very good results. Of course, one of the extremely frustrating things about this with that malaria drug is that for some reason we're not getting those solid data points that we need to have. Right now, there should be a division at CDC or one of the other major government uh, agencies solely dedicated to finding out whether these, this evidence that we're seeing about the malaria drug's efficacy is true. Because as, as I said in the last edition of Novak Now and, I, and, and in my latest column that you can see on LinkedIn, which is something you can find also on my Twitter feed, I very often refer to this latest column, we need to have a list of criteria to find out when we can end this economic shutdown, which will end to the, if we don't end it, it's going to cost more lives than the virus. Okay, I say that very bluntly, but very confidently. And one of the med- benchmarks we need to meet is, I want to see some kind of a study that shows exactly how uh, effective this drug is. If this malaria drug is curing 50, 60, 70% of the people who take it, well, that has to be a major factor in deciding when we end this economic lockdown. Because if, God forbid, we have major recurrences of the virus, we need to know we've got a drug that's got a better than 50-50 chance of curing those who have it if they take it in the right, at the right time and in the right place. Again, under the supervision of a doctor. And doctors need to be allowed to prescribe this. The politicians... For whatever reason, and I don't know if we should believe the conspiracy theories, because right now things are just so crazy. Conspiracy theories that I would have thrown in the trash and not even been willing to read for more than one second are starting to look more, more reasonable, sadly. But it does look like there are a number of politicians who are pushing back against the use of this malaria drug just to harm President Trump. This is sick. This is a sick and morbid thing. And I'll talk more about the, sick, the sickness and, and, and morbidity of of our government in, in just a moment. But if that's the reason why this drug is not being pushed by our politicians, that's more than reprehensible. Uh, the other conspiracy theories you hear is that, that, again, that sound more plausible today than they would have weeks ago, is that because this drug has been on the market for years and is a generic drug and there's really no major profit that can be made from them, I think you can make a small profit if you become the number one volume distributor of the drug, but not a major profit that Big Pharma is pushing their pol- the politicians and the powers that be not to tout the drug because they want to come out with a coronavirus drug, a new drug, new meaning not generic and much more profitable. They want to come out with a drug like that and make more money, which of course would be also super reprehensible. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret about me. Many years ago, also about five, six years ago, I sat down with the folks at a major pharmaceutical company. And based on my research and based on my sources, I said to them that their image was in serious danger more than it had been in the past, because obviously pharma companies have been a target of progressive and left-wing groups for a long time. And I said that they needed to change what they had been doing for years to push back on that. They needed to change their model of just having a big lobbyist in Washington who was friendly with the president, which is what that particular company had at the time, and they thought they had it made in the shade. They didn't, by the way. And I told them that, and they asked me, why are you trying to help us? I said, listen, I think that (laughs) for all your problems, 
you and the other major pharma companies are a lifeline for the world. We need you to, be, to continue to be making somewhat decent profits, at least. We need you to be able to continue doing your vital research. And I wanted to make sure that you didn't get nationalized and defanged and neutered, whatever term you want to use, by a progressive maelstrom. And I have to say right now, the way that the pharmaceutical companies may appear to be responding to coronavirus, if they are indeed pushing back on the use of hydrochloroquine, this malaria drug, because there's no profit to be made on it, I don't know what can be done to help them. If it comes out that the pharma companies were part of the, this pushback on, against this drug, because there's not a lot of profit to be made in it, I don't know what can be done to help the pharma companies overcome something like that. If that comes out, they're cooked because both the right and the left wing will abandon them. And I don't know what to say. I hope it's not true, but it's, more, it's a heck of a lot more plausible than say, if someone had come to me a year ago and said, hey, there's going to be a worldwide pandemic and there's going to be a drug that has some, if not very good, results in curing it, and the major pharma companies are going to push back on it because it's, and, and try to frighten people about it because it's a generic, generic drug they can't make a profit on. If someone had said that to me a year ago, I would have said, get out of here. Uh, I, I, that's, that's a plot of a crazy movie. I don't want to hear that. Uh, and again, we don't know if that's true now either, but it sounds a, like a lot more plausible than it would a year ago, doesn't it? And that's really disturbing. But what's even more disturbing is something that I see really happening right now that I've noticed for years. And that is the fact that we have a government, and I'm not talking about the federal government in Washington necessarily, but many state governments. And this is important because state governments have the real jurisdiction over our healthcare systems. State governments control hospitals, state governments control so much more of how we get healthcare than other things, that, other things that you might think about. It's kind of like education. State, yes, there's a federal health, health uh, there's the, the Health and Human Services Administration, and there's the Department of Education. But as we know, when it comes to our schools, the state really has most of the control, and that's true with our hospitals as well, and our health care laws, for the most part. I, I know that there are a lot of federal laws, especially when it comes to insurance, but of course, even then, they have to comply to state guidelines. Five years ago, I noted there was something really disturbing going on in California. Back then, then-Governor Jerry Brown was fighting two battles at the same time, and the, the, the parallels of, that, of those two battles going on at the same time were really uncanny. Even if they hadn't been going on at the exact same time, it would have been really, really striking what was going on with California and Governor Jerry Brown. But at the very same time that Governor Jerry Brown was pushing it back against a bill called Right to Try. That is a, a law that would allow people, in this case it was just California, of course this became a national law later under President Trump, but I'll get to that in a moment. But at the time, California was considering a bill called Right to Try, and that is basically allowing patients who have been diagnosed by their physician, and maybe even more than one physician, as being terminally ill, that there was no chance of them completely recovering. They were going to die within a year, six months, something like that. Would be to give the, this bill would give them the right to try drugs that were still only in the experimental stage. Now, I'm not talking about stage one experiment. I'm not talking about just 
just out of the Petri dish experiment. I'm talking about stage three, close to either being approved or not approved, but past the the testing point where we know it's not going to kill you once you take it once or twice. And obviously illegal for people like you and me to try this drug, but they were going to, this bill would have allowed in California five years ago in 2015, would have allowed people who were terminally ill to take these late stage trial drugs. And Governor Jerry Brown was fighting tooth and nail against it. Okay, bookmark that. At the very same time, the very same time, not the next year, not the year before, not two years later, at the very same time, the same legislative session, the same time the bills could have been voted on the same day, Jerry Brown was also fighting very hard for a right-to-die bill in California, which was meant to allow terminally ill patients with one or two doctors confirming that diagnosis, the right to end their lives without any legal ramifications either for them or for the physician or nurse helping them kill themselves. Now, whatever you think about euthanasia, whether you take a religious point of view against it, whether you take a position in favor of it, you have to be struck, as I was, by the incredible parallels going on, the, the fact, the incredible coincidence, the, the morbid coincidence, that at the same time, the state was arguing that right-to-try laws were, were dangerous. We don't want patients dying while they take, well, they're going to die anyway. We don't want them dying as they try to save their lives. But if they want to end their lives, Gesundheit, hey, go for it. We'll let you die. We'll make it legal. We'll make it easy. I mean, I don't know how you can't describe a government like that as being pro-death. You might want to say it's compassionate. I understand someone who might argue and say, well, you're giving someone false hope if you give them right to try. At least with right to die, they know they're going to die and they'll have some peace. But there may be some false hope if we allow them to take a drug that isn't approved. Really? Someone who's already diagnosed is going to die within a year or six months or whatever. What kind of false hope can you give them? They know that's a long shot. They know that there's no really anything really to lose. I don't know if that's false hope as much as it's just hope. It's just hope. All hope is not confirmed. All hope can be false hope until something good happens. And I think people who are diagnosed with terminal diseases in their final year or so, being allowed to take an experimental drug is, 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 is certainly not along the lines of chicanery or char- someone being a charlatan or someone trying to con them into something. What, what are they going to take from them? And of course, in that column five years ago, I wrote about it. Again, it's on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. If you scroll down, you'll find it. I talked about how what were some of the reasons against right to try? Why would Governor Jerry Brown be against it? Why would the politicians in California be against it? And I noted some of the reasons, and these were reasons. These were definite reasons at the time. One of them being the state doesn't want to have to deal with drugs that suddenly show that they work to save the lives of very expensive patients that the state might have to be paying for on their insurance plans. In other words, they don't want people who... They don't want to have to say to a bunch of people in California, hey, that expensive drug that actually works, we don't want to cover it in our state insurance plans. So we'd rather not even have have the evidence out there that that it does work. 
I also noted that insurance companies aren't so hot about right to try because they like to cover drugs that aren't as expensive. I also pointed out that the pharmaceutical companies weren't so wild about right to try because, you know, they might have their own timeline. They may not want to introduce a new drug until there's a more profitable or good time for it. Or the drug that may be very expensive to make might only work for a few types of patients and it may not be profitable ever, even if it does become approved. So I noted all of that stuff. But one of the things I didn't know and couldn't even fathomed at the time that's become very, very clear just now with this coronavirus case is that one of the pushbacks on right to try, which I didn't realize then, but it certainly existed then, was that what if right to try, and it does, includes off-label use for drugs that are already out there, like this malaria drug, hydrochloroquinine. Well, that's another problem for the drug companies because here you have a drug that is, again, as I said earlier, here you have a drug that's been approved for use for many, many years for something else. It is now a generic drug. And off-label, it's called off-label use for another disease is great for the people who have that disease. It's not so great for the drug companies. They don't get to make a profit on it. So that's another reason why the drug companies were pushing against right to try and lobbying successfully with Governor Jerry Brown at the time. So how did that end in California in, in October of 2015? Well, right to try lost, did not pass the Democrat-dominated state legislature in California, thanks to Governor Jerry Brown's strong opposition to it. If he had, been a pro- if he had a supported right to try, it would have passed. He was against it. And right to die, of course, did pass because Jerry Brown really supported it through his Democrat-controlled state legisla- legislature at the time. Now, the good news is that in 2018, with the strong push from the Trump administration, right to try nationwide, not the exact same bill as the one in, that failed in California, but right to try nationwide was passed. So now it's a federal law. You're allowed to, you know, again, not the same exact law as it was in 2015. But since 2018, we've had right to try thanks to the Trump administration. So people can try these drugs uh, within reason. And, and there are a lot of regulations and there are a lot of exceptions. I get it. But we moved in a really good direction on right to try. But, you know, you'd have to be blind not to notice how certain state governments, and really a lot of our state governments, approach life and death. They'll help us die, but they won't help us live. Legalize marijuana, go for it. Legalize gambling, go for it. They're all for it. They'll help you do do that. But when it comes to maybe using, for example newer and safer nuclear energy. No, no, that's too dangerous. You can go and smoke marijuana until you're so blitzed that you crash your car and kill yourself. Or if you're 21 years old and your brain is still developing, you know, you'll fry your brain. That's great. Go ahead and do that. Take those drugs. Go ahead and legally gamble yourself into a financial oblivion. And God knows what else happens there. All that's fine. But, oh, nuclear power, that's, that's a little dangerous. Uh, all the scientific evidence shows that it's 10 times or even 100 times safer than it was 40 years ago. No, 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 that's not safe enough. We don't want that. They have an incredible, morbid, negative attitude towards the people. And I think this comes from a government that's cynical. Oh, and by the way, speaking of gambling, also the lotteries. Listen, I'm no prude <laughs> or I'm no priss pot, whatever, you want, whatever adjective you want to use. I understand people are going to gamble. I get it. I understand that. 
I understand people are going to take narcotics. I also understand that as well. And I don't know if it's the government's right to say you can't do those things. I don't think it is. But should the government become our pusher? Does the government have to become the one that organizes the biggest gambling rings in the country, whether it's off-track betting or casinos or lotteries? Do they really have to use my tax money to try to convince my children to buy a lotto ticket? I mean, how, how pervasive is lotto advertising and, and casino advertising in America today? It's pretty pervasive. You know, that's our tax money that pays for a lot of that. Now, I don't mind an understanding between the government and those people who are going to engage in certain vices. To the, for the most part, as a, as a mostly libertarian kind of guy, I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with the government being a promoter of death, being a promoter of, of addiction, being a promoter of gambling. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not okay with that. I don't want you to be the promoter of it. It's one thing to look the other way and say, we're going to try to regulate this and keep it under control. It's another to use my tax money to promote it, which is exactly what the government does. This is a cynical attitude. The government seems to think that we are expend- more than just expendable, that we're useless. That the best thing the government can do is help us to kill ourselves. The best thing the government can, can, can do for us is help us to, to make ourselves drunk or high or to gamble. This is what the government offers its people. Now, what does <laughs> this have to do with the story of Passover? Hard to believe that I could make that connection, but, I, but I'm going to do that now here on the Novak Now show here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. The idea is, again, simil- very simply connected to the idea of slavery. Slavery is a bad deal, right? But at the same time, it's a deal. You're going to get some kind of food from the government, from the people who are enslaving you. You're going to get housing, and you'll have something to do doesn't sound so great. I, I understand that. But it's interesting for a lot of people. This is the, the, if, if you know anything about your, your, your narrative in, in the Bible and the Torah about how the Jewish people, as they're, as they're going through the Exodus process, how they start to complain over and over again that they had it better in Egypt and how freedom frightens them and how hope and optimism is frightening for them and it's risky. And they say over and over again, we were better off in Egypt then you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll know that the Torah has understood this as human nature for a long time. That there is a certain part of our DNA that may be more pronounced in some people than others, where they would rather just sort of be told what to do or be given no hope and just told, do this, do that, and you'll get this. It's not great on either end, but at least you have some certainty. The government right now is telling us, don't try this drug. And by the government, I mean our state governments. Don't try this, this drug that might help you. Stay indoors all day. Are we going to find out when we can come out? No, we're not going to tell you even the conditions that would need to be met for, to allow you to go outside. You're just under our slavery here. Why? Because there's this scary virus out there that might kill you. Thus, we don't owe you anything. We can take away all your rights. Freedom is scary. Even if we start to meet, and again, I think we should. I'm not telling anyone to break any of the quarantine rules or social distancing rules. I want to say that again. I said it many times last week, and I will say it many, many times now. Do not break any of those quarantine or social distancing rules for now. And this is no hoax. The virus is real and it's deadly. Not saying that either. Don't let anyone misrepresent what I'm telling you right now. But the point is, 
You cannot put people under an economic lockdown or under house arrest or whatever you want to call about it indefinitely without some explanations. And the Torah gives us that, right? You learn that in the Kriyat Shema, in the, in the, in the, the reading of basically the covenant between the Jewish people and God. We do one thing, and he gives us this particular reward if we do what he says, what God says. And the whole point of leaving Egypt is so that we could follow the rules to fulfill that covenant. Folks, we have to have a little give and take here. We're not getting it right now. What we're getting from our government is basically death and uncertainty. And we can't accept that. I'm Jake Novak. Have a very, very good Passover. For our Christian listeners, have a great Easter. I hope to speak to you again soon.